Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to VMB, the voice of Manhattan business, brought to you by the Manhattan Chamber of Commerce. I'm your host, Bruce Hurwitz. You can find me on the web at hsstaffing.com. I hope everyone will be able to join me this coming Wednesday at noon, when my guests will be Rachel Batiche from Zoos Now. We will be discussing timely project management in a mobile world. To learn about all future shows, please visit our website, www.thevoiceofmanhattanbusiness.com. And please remember to visit the events page on the Chamber's website, manhattancc.org, to learn about upcoming events on the Chamber's calendar. I am delighted to be joined today by Ann Kamen from New York Grant Company. We will be discussing Get Connected, the Power of Referrals, Part 2. We spoke a few months ago on this topic, and now we are going to conclude the discussion. Please remember the opinions expressed on this program are solely those of the participants and do not necessarily represent the views or positions of the Manhattan Chamber of Commerce. If you have any questions, feel free to call in. The number is 805-243-1301, and please dial 1 so I know you have a question. And welcome back to the show. Hey, thank you, Bruce. Great to be with you always. Well, I think this is the 10th time you've been on, and I'm pretty sure that sets the record. So congratulations. One day we'll get it right. There you got it. Now, in case people have not had the pleasure Please tell us about yourself and your company. Uh, yes, I am Ann Kamen. I am the CEO of the New York Grant Company. We are proudly based in Lower Manhattan, and we help navigate through government incentive programs, primarily for businesses, but also for not-for-profits and uh, communities. So we help get, help our clients get grants, tax breaks, energy discounts, uh, financing at a low cost, and other uh, benefits that will help them with their bottom line and help projects, um, you know, enable projects and enable really uh, organizations to grow, to hire, to train, to invest in new plant and equipment or new ideas, innovations and whatnot. And um, we've been doing this for now 15 years. And having great success. You know, from your mouth to God's ears. <laughs> now, as I mentioned, this is the second program in a two-part series. Last time we spoke about referrals, and we did it old school, so to speak. For those who did not listen, give us the highlights. About referrals, the, the value of them? About referrals. We discussed referrals and networking and the value and the basics, uh, the client acquisition, uh, client retention. Right. Well, I mean, I think uh, I know from my own, my own experience as, as, as a CEO of my own company, but also as a chief of business development for the city of New York, which is a job I had way back when, and also as a lawyer for the last 30 years representing all kinds of clients that, um, you know, referral is the name of the game because, once you become known or you get your name out or you start to network with various groups, particularly in a place like New York, um, 
you know, the sky's the limit in terms of what kind of people you can meet, what kind of clients you can acquire, knowledge, everything. I mean, uh, particularly in New York City, everything is so connected, is so networked. We are all about 1.5 degrees of separation at this point, I think. And so it's all who you know, as they say. It really is. Um, We're all connected to each other in some way, and uh, everything is connected to us. So if we just tap into that as a business philosophy, we, um, we enable ourselves to do just about anything we can put our minds to, whether it's grow a business, start up a new company, uh, excel in an existing business, take something to the next level or grow an organization. I mean, it's, uh, it's really the lifeblood of, I think, of the business community in, in our neck of the woods and probably everywhere. So now let's get to the 21st century, and thank you for that. What are the modern tools and techniques for securing referrals? And, of course, we're talking about business referrals. Sure. Well, I mean, I'm 56 years old, so I'm old, and I'm old school. My father was a salesman. My mother was a, an executive assistant, which was a fancy way of saying secretary. And, and, and really, in that old school way, um, you know, we would go door to door, as they say. We would, we would uh, meet people one-on-one. Uh, belong to organizations, get active in our communities, and therefore meet people and really um, have a face-to-face interaction with them, which would then open up doors. Nowadays, of course, we communicate online and uh, virtually in almost every facet of life, whether it's uh, buying things online or, or being part of, an, uh, of a meeting where you can just uh, tap in via a webinar or what have you and not really know even sometimes who you're speaking to or, or have met them face-to-face, but really have a substantive conversation. So the channels of communication and, and ways of connecting have multiplied exponentially, and that also opens up tremendous opportunity for generating business, for expanding one's know-how and pool of uh, resources that we can draw upon, whether it's to get ideas or to sell stuff. And, and also to create your personal brand. For sure. And that becomes really important because there's also a lot of noise out there. I mean, gosh, how many channels, how many emails do you get every day? How many possible things can you can you read uh on your on your, you know, iPhone in any given hour? It's endless. It's bottomless. And so I think it becomes imperative for any person, organization, or product to differentiate by branding, by uh, creating a, a, a value proposition. It may be a personal value proposition that sets one apart from the rest. Now, you're a lawyer. And I don't want this to be seen as a lawyer question, so okay. I'm going to define the term. I have a question about intellectual property, and now we're talking about trademarks, copyrights, patents. And whatever the listener thinks those are, for our purposes, that's the correct definition. 
Now, given that the Internet is all about information, how do you protect your intellectual property? What should you share and what shouldn't you share? When I say you, I mean a business owner, obviously. Sure, sure, I get it. Um, Well, it, it becomes important to protect intellectual property that is proprietary, i.e. something that you own, that you've created or developed, and that you want to uh, have rights to, to the exclusion of others, you know, when you truly have something that is novel and secret, you know, like the secret sauce of uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken, mm-hmm. um, or, or some sort of uh, algorithm. Coca-Cola's formula. Exactly. Or, or some sort of... Uh, uh, technology software that you've developed that is um that nobody else has come up with then now that may be patentable or otherwise protectable as as intellectual property or as proprietary information beyond that there's like everything else that's an interesting point that you just raised i had a job interview years ago when i was a fundraiser it's one of the few jobs that I didn't get that I really wish I had. It was to be the, uh, I don't forget, coordinator, I think it was, of fundraising for the ENT department at Mount Sinai. And it was so long ago that when I got there for the interview, they were wiring the doctor's office for the Internet. All right? Mm-hmm. And the place was a mess. And he had just come in from surgery and he told me to sit on the sofa, and on the coffee table, he offered me a drink, I didn't want anything. Uh, on the coffee table were his plaques and degrees and what have you, but one thing caught my eye. It was the first time that I ever saw a U.S. patent. Long story short, he comes back into the office. I didn't notice that he had returned because I was reading the patent. The man invented an artificial human throat. Now, yeah, I, I was th- that that's being intimidated. But when I looked up, he had a big smile on his face and said, "Yeah, but I can't fundraise," which was the <laughs> perfect thing to say. I laughed and we had a great conversation. Right. I'm that's actually out at uh-huh, I'm currently sitting at the <clears throat> Advanced Energy Research Tech Center of Stony Brook University. And uh, it's all about creating intellectual property, patentable ideas and technologies, and then trying to introduce them and commercialize them in the market, in the world at large. And there you um, go. in the room I was just sitting in, one of our, actually my client and, and partner has a technology that uh, he's licensed, in, and it has eight patents worldwide, including in the United States. But ultimately, somebody in the meeting room said, "Yeah, well, those are issued, uh, but I don't. I really think of them as worthless because the idea is that look, in today's world, it is so easy to what's called reverse engineer something. I may have a patent on something, but if that, if another person comes along and pulls apart that, let's say it's some sort of device, and mm-hmm. really analyzes what's in that device, how does it work?" What makes it tick, you know? What is it made of? And, and then figures out how to make it 
by dissecting it, pulling it apart and analyzing it, and then just tweaks it to a certain degree so it's just uh, it, it works around, as they call, works around the patent. Then, then that could be a completely different and uh, product that is that my patent doesn't uh, protect against. You know, so there, in, in, especially in this age of so much availability of information, so much exchange of ideas, um, it's a very curious field, uh, intellectual property. Uh, I think. Well, it's that so, was. It- yeah. That was exactly my point, because if I had the intellect, I would have understood what this physician had created, and the plans are all, all there in the uh, patent. So you know exactly what he did. So the intellectual property is protected when you get the patent, but it's no longer secret. And as soon as that patent expires, anybody can do it. Right. So and also, when do you keep, and I know that an idea cannot be patented. Right. You can't protect an idea. If you go to a restaurant and you say, I would love to do such and such, and somebody overhears you and goes out and does it, you can't sue them. Yeah. What explains the relationship between intellectual property and secrecy, confidentiality. When should you not seek patent, copyright, trademark protection because it's going to become public knowledge? Ah, uh, well, even the, uh, very clever uh, inventors know how to disclose enough to get a patent. But without disclosing so much that it gives away the store, uh, there are ways to do that. Also, you don't have to seek patent protection. You know, you could work in your laboratory, come up with something very novel, very much yours, an invention all new, and without making those disclosures as required by the patent laws, um, come up with uh, something that is quite unique and marketable. Uh, and and without patent protection, so it's uh, you know it's a double-edged sword. The patent gives you rights, legal rights uh, that are superior to anybody else's, but it's really the right to to sue because somebody if somebody uh, uh, violates your patent, then infringes your patent, then you have the right to go and sue them. But you know, good luck. 20 years later, you may get some uh, relief. I mean, I, I used to be in court uh, a lot over, oh, about 13 years' time. I spent practicing in private law practice where I worked on a, many, many different patent and trademark and trade dress cases. They were fascinating but incredibly expensive and really uh, only worth it when you had the most advanced technology and the most secure of rights and something that was that, that where the the loss of your invention or in, infringement was an incredibly expensive proposition. In other words, it could ruin a company if your if your patent was violated by others and, and essentially stolen out from under you. Um, sure. One of my favorite cases was actually a trade dress case, 
trade dress is something that a lot of people don't know about, but it's but it's instantly relatable. You know the shape of a Coke bottle? Mm-hmm. How, how, the old conventional Coke bottle with this sort of figure eight uh, sexy shape. Well, that mm-hmm. is called trade dress. Just the shape of the object itself can have some sort of proprietary um, rights attached to it. In the case of the Coca-Cola bottle, it's that shape. Or um, in, in the case that I worked on, which is very cool, it was the Beehive Blender. I don't know if you remember back in the 50s and 60s, there was a, a Sunbeam Beehive-shaped blender. It was very, very um, noticeable. You know, once you saw that on a counter anywhere, you'd say, ah, that's the, that's the Sunbeam. And it became very, very popular, and it's still, like, retro popular now. I wish I had one. And um, one of the competitors, and this is this was a lawsuit filed in federal court, Hamilton Beach, Proctor Silex was the competitor. They came up with a beehive-shaped blender back in the, uh, the mid-'90s. And I was working at my law firm, and we were representing Sunbeam, so I got to go after uh, Hampton Beach Proctor Silex over the trade dress of the Sunbeam Beehive Blender. It was a lot of fun, and I really learned a lot through that process. And eventually, um, Hamilton Beach relented, and they withdrew the product from the market. And so it was a great, it was a great victory um, while preserving something so classic. Hmm. Well, just a reminder, you're listening to the Voice of Manhattan Business. My guest today is Ann Kamen from New York Grant Company. We're discussing Get Connected, the power of referrals. If you have any questions, feel free to call in. The number is 805-243-1301 and dial 1 so I know you have a question. Please remember the opinions expressed on this program are solely those of the participants and do not necessarily represent the views or positions of the Manhattan Chamber of Commerce. Now, getting back to referrals and the Internet, you said earlier, you know, we get – there's so much noise out there. There's email blasts, these um, uh, marketing uh, uh, reports that are sent out, newsletters. There's no end to it. So two questions. How should a business owner organize their online time? And if they are online, it's inevitable that that they're going to be criticized. So how should they respond to the criticisms because those can cost referrals? Sure. Well, I mean, I think I have my uh, my iPad and my iPhone uh, attached to my cells at this point. It's hard for me to ever separate myself from from them. And when I do, it's like I go into some sort of major withdrawal. I, I think I'm very much not alone in that. Uh, I think they, they're even doing studies now about what people go through, the tra- trauma they go through with their away from their cell phone for any length of time. Um, that being said, and, and, and a lot of it has to do with the, just the ease of the access of the technology. It is very engrossing. It's very uh, interesting. It's easy to get absorbed into. But at the same time, I'm using it as a tool to stay in touch, in, such, in touch with staff, in touch with clients, in touch with 
business opportunities and touch with the news. Um, and it's, it's, it's critically important. But I know that there are smart people out there who have developed regimes where by they may not check email uh, until the end of the day or they'll figure out two times of, of the day that they will go through and answer email. That's pretty, that's pretty disciplined. That takes a lot of discipline. But I think more than anything it's about, you know, focusing one's own time and energies because uh, otherwise it's very easy to get distracted by the technology and go off on detours um, like, oh, I didn't know about that. Now let me dive down that rabbit hole and find out more about that when, when it, it was not even on your to-do list for the week, much less for that day. So I'm, I'm always struggling with having to keep my list, understand, well, I've got to get this done today or else. And, and then put the, put the darn machines down in order to get work done or get what I have on my to-do list actually accomplished. I don't know if that answers the question. So it's a it balance does. between staying connected, uber connected as we are these days, and having enough discipline to actually get what you need to get done and, and, and also find the time to uh, separate oneself so you can think and Come up with ideas and create uh, in your own head, in your own space, without the distraction uh, of the technology. I got to ask, I'm not trying to be funny. When you said uber-connected, did you mean uber in the German sense of the word? Or did you mean uber as in the uh, taxi service? (laughs) No, I was not referring to the taxis. Because, you know, it could have gone either way. Uh, Either one would have been right. The core for any business today, you cannot be in business today without a website. That's where people are going to go. That's what's going to get a referral to pick up the phone and call you or send you an email or whatever purchase something online, it's going to be through the website. How often do you believe a website should be updated? Constantly, really. In today's world, um, websites become so obsolete so fast. And uh, right now, I mean, we've been working on our website continuously. I have a a wonderful marketing director, Jeff uh, Smith. You might have met him. And he is the king of content for me. It was so important to have him come on board and just pay attention to what needs to be updated, what needs to be upgraded. How do you get people's attention? He comes up with push and pull campaigns. I mean, there's a whole world uh, known as marketing where these things can be um, created, developed, implemented, and then analyzed to death with all kinds of analytic tools now to see who's looking at your website. Where are they from? You know, why are they looking? How many pages are they looking at? How, how much time are they actually spending with you? And that becomes incredibly uh, important in deciding where to take uh, people's attention. You know, uh, so it means constant, constant update of content and being aware of what the outside world is doing to look at you, view you, and either be interested or not interested in you. 
That was actually going to be my next question about analytics. Now, I use Google Analytics. How can a business owner today know that they're being successful? How do you judge the success of your referral campaign when it comes to your online activities? Is it what you just said, the number of visitors, where they're coming, repeat visitors, or is there something special that you're looking for? Well, I think of it in a sort of holistic and integrated way. So when we, will, when we host an event, for example, a business event, and we want to generate interest and get our message out, let people know what we're up to and who we are and what we do, and then hopefully garner interest in our, in our activities, but also connect with the, the world in some ways that's, uh, that's relevant, that's interesting, that will attract people. So maybe we'll host an event on, I don't know, the newest technologies in a certain area or, or maybe a certain geographic area. What's going on in Long Island City, for example? And we'll host an event or co-host it, whatnot. So then what we'll end up doing is build an email campaign around our contacts. Um, we use various contact databases. We have over 10,000 contacts that we, you know, we know, per, I won't say personally, but these are people that we know who we've met in some walk of life, and we will reach out. We will try to segment them. Maybe there's people in Canada that won't have any interest or people in agriculture that will have no interest in technology or something, but we'll try to segment them as much as possible so we can then target email campaign, reach out to them, and then do something with our website that um, reinforces the message, maybe has some more detail about the event or some, something related to it that is in the form of content that people can actually read, maybe before or during or after the event. So it all becomes an integrated push. Then we'll have the event itself where we're, we'll appear in person. Maybe I'll speak or maybe Jeff will speak or somebody else from our team and we'll have other invited speakers, uh, people who are knowledgeable in a particular industry or, or area or in government whatnot, and, and uh, relay stuff that they have that is, is valuable information. We, we hosted a real estate event few weeks ago at the New York City Bar Association, and it was great because we were with a few law firms and consultants and whatnot, and they were all dispensing really valuable information. Um, so then there's the follow-up, you know, in terms of, well, who, who attended, who actually signed up, and who registered, and who actually bothered to show up. Um, who did we meet afterwards at the event and actually see see face to face? Um, that gives us a chance for follow up. So it's all an integrated approach that yes uses the website, uses technology, but also uses more traditional means like a face to face uh, networking uh, event, or speaking engagement, or something like that where we can really connect and then. Um, have one-on-one meetings with people afterwards, perhaps. Last question. You only have 30 seconds because I promised you we would end by 1230. 
How yes, do you sir. keep an email campaign from becoming what I think everyone will agree is a universally hated spam campaign? Well, we start with a, with a database list of people that we know that we've met. Maybe they've been clients over the years or people that I've known in my circles over the years. Um, and, and they always have a chance to unsubscribe or say, leave me alone. Um, so we're always mindful of that dividing line between an invited email and spam. And, um, and I'm going to stop you, Anne, because yeah. I keep my promises and I know Aww. you're pressed for time. Usually I would call you afterwards and thank you profusely. In this case, I'm thanking you profusely publicly, and I look forward to coming back on two more times. The next one will be discussing millennials. Before you go, though, please tell our listeners how they can get in touch. All right. Well, thank you so much, Bruce, and I look forward to uh, seeing you soon. best way to reach me is via email at ann, A-N-N, at N-Y Grant, that's N-Y-G-R-A-N-T-S dot com. And thank you so much for coming on. And as always, a special thank you to our listeners. And I know that Anne joins me in wishing everyone a safe and prosperous week. <laughs>